0: Welcome back to another episode of The Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts here, Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, is the king himself, John King, and your favorite lispy libertarian, Nate Thurston. Man, how's it going, guys?
1: It's going really good. I really appreciate you pointing out the lisp every single time. I love it when people do that. Um, I've been told it's not really that big of a deal but I don't uh,
2: know. I think I've only run into it one time, yeah. which was, how long ago was that? Like,
1: And it, honestly, it might be this time, John, that made me point it out forever and always afterwards, but this had to be, I was recording with my first band back in, uh, he was, uh back in uh, eight, probably
2: something like that. He was circus, a lad.
0: Circus 2008. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and he was doing a little bit of singing and I was kind of coaching through the vocals like I usually do. And I was like, man, you, I just keep get doing this over and over again. You got to watch it. It sounds like you've got a lisp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> John and I hadn't known each other for very long at that time. But uh, and my response was, I I do have a lisp.
2: <laughs> it was a little more sheepish than that. Yeah, that I, I felt terrible for pretty much the rest of the year and the next several hundred times i saw you and now we joke about it
0: yeah you embrace it right you've called yourself the lispy libertarian which is why i introduce you that way i mean you know most successful people have some form
1: that's true
0: like dyslexia i know a lot of people have dyslexia they're very very successful so you embrace what what we're trying to tell you out there embrace your faults bring them to the (laughs) forefront my
2: fault. In, in, embrace, <laughs> embrace that tissue that's affecting your speech patterns, you know? Thank and, you, thank you, yeah.
0: And you know what? Don't let somebody tell you you can't start a podcast with your friends because you have a lisp. I don't know. Because
1: do cause it on, sounds
0: terrible, you know, and people with lists shouldn't be allowed. I, see, I can't talk
2: now either. But
1: JSP said that I can't ever talk in public,
0: <laughs> you know? But you know, something good, Nate has figured out that if he talks a little up, the body of his voice comes out better on the microphone, so... Look, gotta
1: get there on the mic right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Charlie, how's your welts?
2: Welts. That was direct. <laughs> so we've gone from uh, tissue induced lisps to welts. Yes. If welts. you haven't W-E-L-T. listened,
0: W-E-L-T. If you didn't listen to the last episode, I encourage you go back and listen. It was a great episode. But I also mentioned on there, I have been or I went to the hospital a couple times. I'm having some type of allergic reaction. I don't know what's going on, but the good news is, is I'm here. With you guys doing the show again, because I love it that Charlie, much.
1: Charlie thinks it might be milk, possibly, but uh, he's trying to cut it out. Um, so where'd you go today for lunch?
0: <laughs> um, look, I just wanted to go somewhere close to my house, and it was Dairy Queen.
2: <laughs> okay. But, but I ordered barbecue sandwich. All right. and uh, You can still take economics advice from him, guys. Maybe, okay. there's, maybe
0: there's milk in the bread. Who knows? It was a pretzel bun.
2: Is, do you guys want to dive
1: in?
0: Yes, we have a lot to get to we in this have show. so
2: many things that we've prepared for you today. We have a lot to cover, <laughs> as they like to say at the nudist colony. <laughs>
0: God.
2: Jokes with John. <laughs> it's from 7th grade history. That was the edgy teacher gave me that one.
0: Speaking uh, of nudist colony, I don't know how this transitions, but <laughs> Ben Carson at the HUD department, apparently he's <laughs> destroying this thing.
1: You just tied a nudist colony in the bin, Carson. I like that transition. That was good. I don't know. All right. Yeah, it works. All right, guys. In all seriousness, this is an article from Vanity Fair that came across my news feed the other day, which is the Apple News app. I suggest you use that for all of your news reading pleasures.
2: Mine won't quit showing me stuff that I'm really not very into, hmm. like weird uh, news, news stories from Rolling Stone and... Uh, the New York Times and things
0: like that. It goes off like what you like. So I, the I, different articles, I certainly didn't like that. If you haven't liked anything, then it's still trying to come up with stuff for so you. So it,
2: it just yeah.
1: assumes that I'm strongly liberal. Go ahead. So if I spend a lot of time reading something about a movie, I feel the next day, like my whole news feed is just like Hollywood stuff. Oh, that like, might that's explain just it. like how it is. So if you spent any amount of time on a Rolling Stone article, the news app. Ha- has decided that you just so love I'm, I'm screwed whatever they talk about yeah so this is an article from Vanity Fair that came across my newsfeed and uh, it's called Ben Carson retired brain surgeon has a lobotomized hood that's catchy yeah that's a pretty good catchy title now It's a little bit um, misleading because they just said that to be catchy. I mean, he didn't actually lobotomize. They were trying to come up with something real cool because he's a brain surgeon. Um, So obviously they're likening what he's done to HUD as a lobotomy. But just so you guys know, uh, Trump did appoint Mr. Ben Carson, who was a presidential candidate uh, in the 2016 election. If you guys don't remember, he was the one asleep during the... Uh, debates the whole time. And uh, I think he's a great guy. He's kind of a came from nothing to being one of the top brain surgeons in the country kind of thing. Um, But anyway, he's been appointed as the guy that is running HUD. And for those of you that don't know, what does HUD do? What is HUD? What is this, John?
2: Well, it's the Office of Housing and Urban Development. And uh, we've got a little bit of a a list of things that they do, which I kind of wanted to look at that because you don't really know. I did notice at one point there was a uh, officer in charge of abatement of lead paint at HUD. But anyway, (laughs) Good. Um, so they do uh, some of the big things, FHA mortgages. They do the mortgage insurance, uh, development insurances for multifamily housing and uh, our favorite Section 8 housing that everyone hopes pops up next to their home. Okay. Um. Yeah, so that's that's the quick rundown. One of the funny things I thought about
1: this was uh, it, Trump kind of had this thing for appointing people that didn't like the agency that they were getting appointed to, and uh, that was like the goal. Um, like a good example, uh, the guy he appointed for the uh, BLM, Bureau of Land Management, uh, had publicly stated that he didn't think the government needed to own land. Um, they had appointed... Uh, Rick Perry, he, with the EPA, did, uh, Rick Perry with the EPA. Yeah, Rick Perry with the one. EPA. Another funny one. Doesn't
0: believe in climate. <laughs> the uh, the original the climate alarmist.
1: The original guy that they appointed for the Department of Labor was the Hardy CEO that didn't think we needed the minimum wage. Um, so he he appointed him to the Department of Labor. Um, Probably the
0: most famous was Department of Education. Yeah,
1: Betsy uh, DeVos. It, DeVos is that how you say it. Um, so she's a, a proponent
2: big, of vouchers and charter schools. Or maybe it's DeVoe.
1: <laughs> Getting away from public schooling. That who he appointed to run the Department of Education. So a lot of these really, what I believe, are pretty funny, and it really shows you, honestly, maybe deep down what Trump thinks about these agencies, that he's appointing people that don't want the agency to exist, to to run the agency. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ben Carson had said a lot of negative things about HUD beforehand, and then he ends up getting appointed to, to run it. And, so. we and we won't even go down the
0: rabbit trail of whether these... Department should exist or not?
1: <laughs> we might. Let's
0: see. Uh, but most of them were created after you know 1970, so they haven't been around that long. Well, there's these. no way
1: we would have ever had housing for low-income people before 1970. They were all on the street, right?
0: Oh yeah, we had yeah. A, yeah the homeless population was probably bigger back then.
1: I bet they were. And then the Department of Education, we had never even had education in america before you see all
0: of our shanty villages
2: there's no way up, you know? yeah
1: just sticks, cardboard boxes sticks and cardboard boxes that's no joke i've seen it with my own eyes before that's a real thing isn't it john yeah just it is not here not here
2: not now um but I, I did think it was funny which i know you're probably about to get to that but the tone of the vanity fair article that it, when it was talking about the budget rec- you know the increases basically he had no appetite for what he was doing and so they uh they were looking at it like it was a bad thing that he wouldn't fight for more and more money for HUD, no matter what.
1: Yeah, so the big, <laughs> um, they had proposed an 18% cut to the HUD budget, and Carson, basically the story here was that he didn't really fight very hard against the 18% cut. He ended up negotiating, with quotation marks around the microphone here, he negotiated for a 14% cut
2: instead But to, it kind of said <laughs> it was after some prodding, like he was pretty much like, yeah, yeah that's cool, Well. Eighteen percent is fine, and then some. You they know.
1: basically had to tell him, like, "Hey, you're supposed to counter this offer with, <laughs> with something, and not higher than eighteen. <laughs> like, you're supposed
0: to come up with something
2: lower, please." And the funniest this, thing is, I don't think any of us would have ever noticed if they would have cut the eighteen no. percent.
0: Is this why I'm seeing articles come out about him purchasing a thirty-one thousand dollar desk? You know, they're trying to damage his character because of what they don't... I didn't see that article. like what he's doing. Without, I did, what was I did see of? that.
1: They mentioned that in here. And, you know, when it comes to counting the expenses of government employees, no one really seemed to care that much while Obama was president. I don't think I heard about every single agency director's purchases during that time. So I'm going to go ahead and still not care because now that the media has decided to do its due, due diligence and look up what government officials are spending uh, since there's a republican in the white house
2: and he was probably forced to buy from a government approved list of vendors more than likely and government approved desks like so, honestly
1: they probably gave him a list of three things and all of those different desk builders had already paid someone else in the government to get their their desk on the list and he probably picked the cheapest one that they offer them but uh, anyway aside from right. that that was a little bit of a little bit of an offshoot there from from the article right so the point of this article is that Ben Carson doesn't really seem to care that much about how HUD is going. Um, he just willingly let the budget get cut by fourteen um, percent, and now they're just. This article is just talking about how the whole department is in disarray. Not much good going on, and he even got in trouble for saying this one thing. He said that poverty is a mindset. And basically that their goal is to fix that and to fix that mindset instead of continuing it. I mean, what do you guys think about the idea that poverty is maybe just a mindset that people are in?
0: How would this guy know? How would this brain surgeon, you know, elite member of the government, how would he even... Oh, wait, he grew up in the projects?
1: Yeah, he's, he <laughs>
0: was poor. He was poor. And uh, then he became a top brain surgeon and now runs the Department of HUD. Th- this is the craziest thing. Ben Carson is 100% right, by the way, that poverty is most definitely a mindset. And what these government programs do, like HUD, is keep those people in that mindset. And what Ben is doing here and what he's doing from what he learned throughout his own life is saying, yeah, I don't care that much about this department because number one, it shouldn't exist. And number two, all we're doing is we're enabling people to continue on this path of generational poverty.
1: So this is the idea that um, when you have a safety net for people, that generally uh, they will fall down to it. More people will fall down to that safety net when it's there. And if there wasn't a safety net, maybe everyone would grow up knowing I've either got to make something of myself or that's it. Those are my two options.
2: you get clipped in on a ropes course, you'll do some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, I'll Superman down a zip line and everything else. But uh, if I was hanging on for dear life, I'm probably going to be a little bit more cautious.
1: I've got a really great quote from one of my favorite TV shows. And uh, this is in regards to making driving safer. And uh, this is from the TV show House. I'm going to paraphrase the quote. I just I always remember that. But he said that if you wanted to make people safe drivers, take out the airbag and replace it with a machete. No one will drive over five miles an hour. (laughs) And that's I mean, obviously, that's a TV show you know, but that's funny a funny quote. That's a perfect analogy. It's a great analogy. There's people you're driving around all the time with a with an airbag right in front of you and your seatbelt on, and then you just think that you can drive like an idiot and do whatever you want. But guess what? <laughs> if there was a if there was a machete inside of your steering wheel that would pop up if you ran into something, you would have the world's safest drivers at all times. And that idea is that when you don't have a safety net that you will fix your own problems.
0: Well, and that used to be the American dream. That used to be before all of these safety net measures were in place. That's why we had so many immigrants come to America to create a better life for themselves. Not because America had all the safety net programs or they had HUD or they had any of this welfare. It was because it was the land of opportunity. It was the place that you could come. And if you worked hard... And if you dedicated yourself, then you could make something of yourself. That was the American dream. When, I, when Donald Trump says magma, make America great again. That's Mag- what, hold on, magma. That's what I think. Magma, yeah. MAGA. <laughs> <Magga>. MAGA. <Magga. laughs> Hawaiian edition. <laughs> there you go. But yeah. Hey, the- when he says magma. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that was part of the American dream. That not there, have sounded Charlie. better than MAGA. You yeah, have Magma. Cons- you should have consulted on that. I should have. <laughs> Let's get that in there. But yeah, we've got, and we're going to sell it someday, the American Dream Starter Kit. We talk about it all the time. And uh, John, it's going to have something for your tariffs in there to make sure that anything that you want to buy, we just want to go ahead and make it more expensive for you.
2: Don't forget the welfare sign-up kit.
1: Yep. You got to have a welfare. It's got to come with the paperwork in there already. And then, uh, honestly, just a blank check in there written to you
2: from my bank account. But don't forget packed very gently and carefully with other people's money. And
1: that is exactly the American dream, is that you could come to a place where the government of that place will steal other people's money and then put it into your pocket. That is the entire American dream. But uh, Ben Carson didn't quite, didn't quite do that. But the idea here is that when you have a safety net you're more likely to fall down to it. Which,
2: and which I mean, why do we even I know we've kind of gone over this a little bit, but what are some of the scenarios for why we would even need hud really? Cuz you've got FHA. Yeah. And what did that do to the housing market?
1: That's a that's a really great example because hud could possibly be the reason that we had a financial crisis in the first place. And I don't I don't know if that's too broad of a statement. But the idea that people who couldn't afford to buy a house were going to be given a government grant, basically,
2: to go and get their house. Well, yeah, and basically the lenders were offered a sort of like, here, go do this super risky activity you're you're gonna profit a huge amount and but if something happens, we'll take care of it we'll for
1: you. We'll take care of it. So if you're a person who loans out money for a living, loaning out money is a risky business. That is a you are managing risk all the time. And then unless you got a friend named HUD. And then the government comes up to you and <clears> says, Hey, Mr. Person who loans out money for a living, uh from now on, you can loan it out to super risky people and if it goes poorly, I'll cover it for you. Don't worry about it. So now, all of a sudden, we've got all kinds of people who shouldn't have a $150,000 loan in their name that do have a $150,000 loan. And what happens to the market at that time, John? we got
2: competition, and you Mm -hmm. see what we have in markets like here in Nashville, where if you're trying to buy a starter house or an entry-level house, good luck. I mean, the prices are going through the roof. There are people are, you know, there's mul- multiple offers on everything and it's because almost anyone and everyone can get a loan and you don't have to save any money up. Now, I mean, look, if you need to use it, it's there. We're not telling anybody not to use it, just like we won't tell you not to save on your taxes, but it's not
0: the best idea. Not to mention, this This is why we advocate for not trusting in government, right? This is the, the prime example of when Different people are empowered different policies can take place. This is why you don't you know I remember the last election so many people came out and saying if Bernie Sanders doesn't become president my life is going to be over because he's the only one that's going to forgive my Two hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. Well, guess what? He didn't become president. So you shouldn't have taken two hundred thousand dollars out worth of student loans <clears throat> Obama wasn't going to be president forever and government, didn't
2: pay your mortgage off either
0: right and government officials <laughs> yeah. change so this whole idea of putting trust in politicians is the worst idea you can have. This is why we advocate for self-responsibility because you never know who's going to be in power and what they're going to do with that power. And so you need to you need to basically put that out of your mind. Rely on yourself to create your own success. And the other thing, too,
2: a lot of these agencies, HUD in particular, or some of the other welfare programs, you get stuck in an economic niche, especially if you're trying to move from the lower class into the middle class. You could possibly, you know, be working more. And the minute you bump out of that assistance bracket, take a $30,000 pay cut. And so we're just forcing people to make unintelligent decisions and just sucking the ambition out of them. Until so you get stuck with a, a big family in some cases, and people just—they're afraid to make more than forty thousand dollars a year because then they have to make eighty to live the same way, and that's just—that's not a sustainable condition as we've seen.
1: Yeah, it's just like people sitting at home on unemployment, getting paid—you know, twenty thousand dollars a year to do nothing but file paperwork every month or whatever they have to do. You don't have to do anything. What's your incentive? to go get an entry-level job somewhere where you're... I mean, a teacher starting salary. And you can
2: literally have all of your time (laughs) and have 20-some thousand dollars a year plus food stamps, or you can go out and make a $30,000 a year job.
1: Yeah, what's the incentive there for someone to ever get off their butt and do something when you're barely going to get paid more than what you get paid to be unemployed? You're, You're not helping people, you're burying people. Yeah, and that's the thing, the safety net. Our bottom line is here, we believe, to our core... That the safety net actually hurts people, that the safety net causes more poverty, that it causes more pain
0: than it solves. I worked with somebody not that long ago, and she was telling me, a friend of hers, that, who was on welfare and, and had HUD, assisting, HUD assistance and food stamps and everything like that. And she was trying to encourage her, like, hey, you know, I've got this opportunity, you can come, you know, work here, do this job. And she, she basically was like, why? why would I do that? If I get a job, then I lose my benefits, I lose the assistance, and I actually have to work to make <clears> probably less money, as John mentioned, because you take a pay cut for things like that. And so that's and, all. And you lose all your time. And you lose all your time because now you're working instead of being at home watching Netflix or whatever else you're doing. And unfortunately, we, we've created this Society and this culture and this generational poverty—exactly what Ben Carson talks about with the poverty mindset. We've created this mindset where people are expected to be owed certain basic conditions, and if they are, or if they are owed that, then they don't have to go out and produce for themselves. And I'm here to tell you, the best thing in life, what everybody needs in life, is a purpose—a purpose. driven life is what makes you a successful person, whether you make billions of dollars or whether you make 50 grand a year and you're happy, you know, punching a time clock. That having that purpose is what keeps people out of depression and what keeps people off of off of things that drag you down in life. You have to have a reason to want to get out of bed every single morning. And taking the self-responsibility to do that is what is going to break this mold exactly like ben carson said we've got to get people out of this mindset that poverty and assistance is what you need to survive what you need to survive is take some self-responsibility for yourself find that purpose and go out and create some success
1: and guys just so you know we think that you know the, the free market will always step up and you might be thinking well, so you're saying we should just cut all government assistance to people, and that's the best thing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We <laughs> yeah. do. Um,
1: we do think that. But cheers, when, we, guys. when we say that, let's actually cheers to that. Here, you guys got your glasses. Here, yeah, there we uh, go. We're uh, having some leftover whiskey of the week right now. You can go back to the last episode to hear about it. But we do actually think that. And we don't think that because we want to just see people who are poor living on the street you know in, or in the van down by the river like we don't we don't want to see that what we honestly truly believe is that people will step up there'll be donations there'll be free there will be free markets that you never <clears throat> even thought of
2: and, all kinds of things pop up and government is such unproductive use of money i mean think of all the little housing developments and things that are put in the section 8 and all of that and people say that there wouldn't be anywhere for the workers in these high cost areas to live you know, think of what a waste of real estate that is compared to if a private company made use of it.
1: Well, it's kind of funny they they said in this actual article that one of Ben Carson's big things was something called this Envision Center project, which uh, they he was wanting to start to establish uh, a place for families, low income families, to get job training, uh, education, and healthcare services. But uh, he, they did in fact establish establish that, but they only gave them a two million dollar budget for it. And it's kind of laughable because a government person can't drive a car across Washington without it costing $2 million. There's no way
2: six desks.
1: Yeah, there's (laughs) there's no way that they can even have a dinner to talk about the budget without it costing $2 million. So uh, the government does everything inefficiently. Just everything that it does is inefficient compared to the free market. And we really do to our core believe that people will step up and provide for people, and that there will be charity, there will be churches, there will be all these things. Look at every time there's a natural disaster, every time there's a, <clears throat> a school shooting, every time there's a Haiti, every time there's something like that, billions and billions of dollars. You could have an artist, you could have Madonna go out there and say, hey, I'm going to do a 30-day tour, and I'm going to donate all the money that I get paid to this charity. Well, that'd be like $100 million that would go to that charity just from her tour. And so it these people who are making millions and hundreds of millions of dollars a year that talk about doing big things really could step up.
2: And let's not, you know, I'm going to kind of go the Ayn Rand route a little bit here, too. I mean, let's not forget there's there's virtue in selfishness here. These These companies are going to try to figure out ways to make things work. If there's no way to get for workers to be able to afford to live in an area, guess what they're going to start doing? They're going to start providing housing so they can get workers in at a lower cost and lower salaries. Everybody gets taken care of. And I guarantee you, it's going to be a lot better than the way the government does stuff.
1: Yeah, if you're a business, a factory, something like that, and you can't find anyone to work there because of what you're paying, then no one will be there. Yeah, absolutely. Here
2: comes the housing benefit. You know, <laughs>
1: my my dad's got housing for uh, about twenty of his workers that he built so they could live there. So, the company
2: town. Yep. It's, <laughs> it's not a bad place to live. Good
0: food. Good it's drink.
2: Good food.
0: I think you mentioned earlier in the article, we kind of talked a little bit about the housing bust that happened in 2008. I'm going to steer us in another direction here. The, I think the underlying cause, you could say HUD was part of that, but the real true underlying cause of what happened in the latest financial crisis 10 years ago was the Federal Reserve. So Dr. Rand Paul, who's a U.S. Senator for Kentucky, is going to introduce an audit the fed amendment to the Senate banking bill. So he's kind now, of
2: trying one of their own, one of their tricks.
0: Yeah, this he's is this is nothing new. On. This gained some traction uh, his father first talked about auditing the fed in 2008 on the presidential campaigns, didn't get much support 10 years ago and this is starting to gain some traction. I think I think last time that this was brought up, um, 345 house members voted yes. It's a little harder to get through in the Senate. But what is Audit the Fed, and why is this a good idea?
2: I think we should, for for those listening that might not know, maybe go back and explain what the Fed actually is. Because you kind of hear it, and it's sort of like, I don't know if you guys remember when FedEx was Federal Express, and everyone just assumed FedEx was like the government shipping company.
0: And it's a little bit deceptive. So what is the federal This Audit the Fed thing, what does that mean? Well, Audit the Fed is... A an amendment to audit the Federal Reserve, which is the basically the central bank of the United States. It is technically a private in in en, uh, private entity of eight different banks. Some very famous families you might have heard of, right? Um, some some J P. Morgans and, and Rockefellers. Rockefellers. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, but there, you know, there's the Dallas fed and there's the New York fed Atlanta, and, and I think Atlanta has a fed and yeah. San Francisco has a fed and,
2: and we have to be clear. It is not a public institution. It's perceived that way, but it is a for-profit corporation.
0: It is. And what the federal reserve, it was established in 1913. Woodrow Wilson signed the law. It was the federal Reserve act of 1913.
1: Can I just come in and say that Woodrow Wilson might have been the worst thing that ever happened in our country's history
0: possibly? H- him and the year 1913. Well, that that,
2: that total year 1913 He 19, was president. 1913 to 16. If we could erase him, yeah. that would we'd probably be in a very different
1: world right now. I had now. to do a report on Woodrow Wilson when I was in college, and I quickly found out that he was the reason for all of my anguish. Was that, pre, <laughs> like, that pre-Zeitgeist? It it actually was, you know. <laughs> is it? you say Zeitgeist? Is that what it is? Zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah just uh, YouTube Zeitgeist and watch that, for sure.
2: That It's funny, <laughs> that, not to go down that rabbit trail, but... I remember that was like my first experience in sort of learning what the Fed was in a consumable fashion. And you watch it in your whole head. It's like your mind is blown. It's just pretty your, disgusting. Your reality, thing. which there's yeah. a little bit of kooky stuff in it towards the end, but the beginning's very factual. And it was just so funny because it's like everything you thought you knew about money shattered in two minutes and 45 seconds. And
0: yeah. that's the crazy thing. I, I want everybody out there listening, and especially if you're new to this kind of thing, who was like, ah, the... Federal Reserve is too complicated. I can't figure it out. I'll be honest. I had no idea what it was a couple years ago. I really didn't. Not until I started following Ron Paul and, and understanding the ideas and principles of liberty and freedom.
2: And I, I think it's a little intentionally obtuse and hard to figure out.
1: Yeah, most of the time in the banking world and financial world, they they come up with ways to make it and anything involving government, too. They I think they come up with ways to make things more complicated than they are. But the Federal Reserve, they just they control the money supply. If you're a bank that needs to get some money uh, so you can loan it out to people or whatever it is, you're loaning out. You know how many houses banks are loaning out money for all the time? They need millions upon millions of dollars all the time.
2: And, and I hate to break it to you, but for those fans of "It's a Wonderful Life," the, uh, the savings and loan doesn't old, quite work the way that you uh, you thought it did. The Bil- whole
1: Building and loan is and not as bi- cool.
2: Billy and Tommy's money is not building your house, unfortunately. Not no. like not like it should be, right? Uh,
1: unfortunately, uh, interest and fake. It, decimals in a computer are building your house right now that's a, that's about it back in the old it's a wonderful life days it was actually a real banking system where people put their money in and that money was loaned out and then we had this run on the banks and uh all these things and they you know we can't we can't have
2: another one of those run on the banks well, so we've, we've got to do something right guys i mean that's we have to do something
0: so the rich people got together and created the Federal Reserve Bank. And not just the rich people.
2: <laughs> like the point oh 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 seventy decimals,
0: 01%. Like literally
1: the, the 10 richest people in the entire world that came up with this idea, just so you know.
0: And you it have to ask good yourself, for them. this is the big freedom show. Why does the big freedom show want the government to audit a private institution? Well, there's a couple reasons. First of all, the the delegation of monetary monetary policy according to the constitution is supposed to be congress's job congress is the people's representative so that means that we should have insight and we should have power, the people should have power over our representatives to understand and help shape monetary policy. Well, that was stripped from us when Congress passed the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. Congress delegated their power to a private institution that is very secretive. The second reason why we want the government to audit a private institution is because Basically, what they're doing is criminal, and we'll explain why. So, what you need to know about the Federal Reserve is it is a private institution. For profit. For profit that makes billions upon billions, if not trillions of dollars, off the backs of hardworking Americans and our future generations. And the only real government thing about it is the board of directors is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. But if you look at their appointees, they're all a bunch of economic grads that work for Goldman Sachs and all the giant banks. They're all people that have a vested special interest in the financial sectors that aren't making monetary policy based on what the American people need. They're making monetary policy based on what's in the best entrance of financial, inst- financial institutions for profit.
2: And what's the first thing you think of whenever you think of say 1950 or 1960 and you were going to go buy a car or something like that. What what do you think of compared to now? You probably saved the money, right? And how much would that car have cost maybe in the 50s? 2000 bucks. Maybe? And, Tops. and we've been conditioned to just think, "Oh, well, stuff's just more expensive now because of this thing called inflation." Yeah. And, and that was probably the biggest hoodwink of all, I think.
1: It is, because we've all grown up with this idea that inflation is normal, it has to happen, and that everything has to get more expensive every single year. That's Isn't that true? Everyone listening right now, isn't that true that... It's just going to happen for the rest of your
2: life. We've just accepted that, and that's what we're going to teach our children, and that's what we were taught. And, you know, you have to account for inflation, but it's not a natural thing. This isn't something that just happens. By no. the way, your
0: your wages aren't going up very
2: much. Well, then Ron Paul would
1: call <laughs> inflation the hidden tax. That That is the real tax that everyone has to pay, is that your money loses value all the time
0: this is this is why what the Federal Reserve is doing is criminal why they don't want to be audited, why they keep fighting against it is because I think if you were to actually peek into what they were doing, it would you you a normal person would probably go to jail because here's what the Federal Reserve does is they issue or on their balance sheet they purchase four trillion dollars worth of lot of, of of American debt and all kinds of other debt from other banks and all kinds of other financial institutions. And what they do with that is they can artificially manipulate what interest rates are playing out in the market. And this affects things worldwide. It's not just the United States. It affects the, the world economy. Which,
2: which, to be clear, when you say they purchase, they're not purchasing with anything. It's just a, a magic thing on a computer. They're where typing so- it into a computer. Yeah, suddenly yep. they own something. So it's not like a normal person doing a transaction where I, I give Nate Ten dollars in exchange for services, they just make up the ten dollars and it, then charge interest on it.
1: It's like if you wanted the Mercedes and you had this other subscription to a program where you could type in and say, Okay, I would like one hundred thousand dollars more in my bank account. And you type that in and you hit enter, and then with your bank account, there was a hundred thousand dollars
0: more in there. That's but literally what the Federal you Reserve to does.
2: charge yourself interest on that money. Yeah.
0: It's it's disgusting, and this is what they this is what they call quantitative easing or QE. If you've heard that, if you ever listen to CNBC or or any of that, and you're like, yeah, I don't really understand what they're saying, they make up these terms. I think on purpose. Uh, quantitative easing is basically where it's helicopter money. Milton Friedman talked about this, where basically they say hey, you need a bailout or, or you know, we're going to quote unquote purchase, as John mentioned. They basically make it up because they have the right to, to make money, to input it into the economy. They make it up and they say, hey, yeah, you needed a hundred million dollars. Here it is. They didn't have it. It's not like they physically gave it to them. They just added it to their balance sheet. And then what they do is they make that institution pay it back, which is really the American people from the from the government bailouts, it's tax money, you pay it back with interest. So the Federal Reserve just said, hey, you know, I'm going to give you this $100 million. I don't have it. But when you pay it back, you're going to pay me $110 million. And so they're making money off literally nothing. So I'm a normal
1: person that doesn't think about this very much. Why do I care about this?
2: Because but, it's destroying the value of what you use to purchase things. And the dollar, really, the dollar is just a representation. Well, it's debt, but we're not going to go down that road right now. But the dollars, it's only worth as much as someone's willing to
0: to give you for it. That's true. It has a perceived value. I, and I would argue not only as a normal person, not only would you, not only is that the, the main reason, but the second main reason would be the Federal Reserve causes these boom and bust cycles the market the free market should be allowed to go to grow and then recess normally and this these types of market corrections should happen what happens is with the federal reserve through quantitative easing and other measures is they artificially Create a market that goes on a on a roll like we like we're seeing right now it can never go down It could never ever. go down in <laughs> fact uh, before Janet Yellen stepped down, who used to be the Fed chair, she said and I'll quote this here for you she said that will I say there will never ever be another financial crisis? No, probably that would be going too far. But I do think we're much safer and I hope that it will not happen in our lifetimes. And I don't believe it will. Janet Yellen basically doesn't believe that another financial crisis will happen because of all these safeguards that they've put in place, which is really foolish to think. She's because, got a
2: really big inner button. You know, just keep, they, keep so, dropping those decimals. So they can,
1: so the, the basic gist here of the story is that um, they can just keep printing money. And we'll never have to worry about it. Now, this is a conversation about our national debt, that being around $22 trillion and uh, having $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities right now when it comes to all of
2: our welfare state programs. And Nate, you mentioned the debt earlier. We we should also say that they had a program back in 2011, 2012 called Operation Twist that basically went in and it was manipulating the price of treasuries. Which then helps keep the cost of the debt down. It's a very vicious cycle. So once again, I'm a normal person that just has Sorry. money in my wallet.
1: <laughs> I have people in my. I have I have money in my bank account. What does this mean to me? Why do I care about what you guys are talking about? It's because of what they do to the value of your money. You guys think you ever heard your grandpa say, oh, you know? I used to pay a nickel for a gallon of gas and, you know, things like that. Or, you know, I remember my dad would give me, you know, a quarter and I thought I was running the world. You know, like things like that. (laughs) Well, why is it that they... That's the first time I've ever tried an old person voice, by the way. I hope hope that went
2: well. Your grandpa doesn't sound like that at all.
1: Uh,
0: No. My grandpa, he, he said he used to get a hamburger and a Coke for 15 cents.
1: Yeah. So... We're all so accustomed to hearing stories like that. You know that you've heard your grandpa say that before. And we said it's just inflation. It's, oh, yeah. Well, you know, over time, things just get more expensive. Well, why is that? It's not because things get more expensive. Sure, there is an actual value increase. Now, when I say that, I mean, we talked about a car costing $2,000. Well, that car didn't have air conditioning might've had a radio didn't have Probably bluetooth no didn't bluetooth. have bluetooth it uh its tires were going to wear out pretty fast and its suspension was really terrible um and so now you got a backup camera you got bluetooth you got you know all these crazy things a sunroof and everything in your car so yeah the value does go up But you got
0: airbags or machetes you
1: got you got the machete installed <laughs> for sure um
2: but it's when you know you're in a libertarian household when you get your first car and there's a machete in the middle of the drive safely son
0: but what you're saying i think is that it shouldn't (laughs) what you're saying i think is that it shouldn't cost twenty thousand dollars for a new vehicle today
1: well no it's not ten times as valuable like that's what i was saying is that the value of your money went down the value of what you're purchasing might have gone up some but the value of your money didn't uh, the value of your money decreased
2: you know, you guys probably think I can't go a whole episode without talking about government impacting my housing construction, but I didn't really think about the value of the dollar until I started dealing with importing stuff. And you start looking and I'm like I'm about to buy some windows and Somebody, you know, Steven Mnuchin, who's our treasury secretary, goes up and talks about the value of the dollar. And all of a sudden, my windows got went up by 10%. And this is something that's just changing constantly. And we don't feel it because we're inside of our own country and we don't see exchange rates and stuff like that. But prices just go up and down as
0: they affect our dollar. And when you talk about the value of the dollar, what you're really saying is, what's the purchasing now, power? What can I get with it? What, yeah, what can I exchange this value that is placed on this piece of paper called money and what kind of goods or services can I purchase with it? How, how much can I purchase with that specific value?
1: So can I throw out like a little example or analogy for the value of a dollar?
0: Yes. And at first though, I want, I want to read this from Rand Paul. So Rand Paul was interviewed on this and this leads right into your example, I think. Ram Paul was interviewed and asked about it. He said, I think the Federal Reserve is one of the most powerful agencies of government. I think it's very, very secretive. I think they aren't transparent. They aren't responsive to the, uh, responsive to the people which we've talked about. If you look at their track record, they haven't done a very good job of preserving the value of the dollar over the last hundred years of their existence. They've probably destroyed 96 to 97% of the value of the dollar. And we kind of explained this, but we're going to turn to Nateonomics here. What, <laughs> what by your, uh, let's be libertarian, Nate Thurston. What does destroying 96 to 97% of the value of the dollar actually mean?
1: So this is the value of a dollar. I'm going to use a little analogy here, and we just—do you want to go with the Mustang one or uh, Michael Jordan? Whether you want to, I like Mustangs. Do? Mustang. Yeah, let's go Dave. Mustangs. Hey, let's go Mustang. This is for you. Okay, cool. If you're listening. Um, so let's say that there are a thousand sixty-seven fastback Shelby GT500s in existence. There's a thousand of them,
0: and uh, are you going Nicholas Cage on us?
1: Absolutely. So, there's 1,000 Eleanors in existence. 990 after that movie. Yes. (laughs) He broke a few. (laughs) So, for the purpose of this discussion, there's 1,000 of them right now. And you're going to take that. And the Mustang, just so you know, is now the dollar. That's your analogy. So, there's 1,000 Mustangs in existence. Well, guess what? There's 300 million people (laughs) that want to own a Mustang. And so now. Through the market, there's 1,000 available, and there's 300 million people that want them. So now there is a value assigned to that Mustang. Maybe it's about $75,000 or is what people are willing to pay for. The market has assigned a value. The market has assigned a value to that Mustang based on the fact that there's 1,000 of them in existence. And so what happens one day when this guy goes into his barn, he's like, oh, crap, I haven't looked in this barn and... And it, since 60, since 68, I haven't looked in this barn and he goes to the barn and he opens the door and he goes, oh man, there's a thousand 67 Mustangs in here that we didn't even know existed anymore. Which if he were really smart,
2: he wouldn't tell anybody Mm-mm. He'd trickle them out. But let's say <laughs> that he didn't.
1: So the guy goes to his barn. Remember, there was only a thousand total in existence. And this guy goes into his barn or warehouse and says, oh man, I just found a thousand more. So now, there were three hundred million people that wanted one of these things, and there used to be a thousand. But now there's two thousand of them. And beforehand, when there were only a thousand, they valued them at seventy five thousand dollars per car. Well, now they've magically found that there are actually two thousand of them in existence. And guess what? The value of the sixty seven Shelby GT five hundred fastback. It's got to be a fastback for sure. I don't want that stupid 65 and a half, but um, we got that, uh, that sorry, <laughs> we don't want that guy. Um, but anyway, so now the value has gone down from 75000 to about what? I don't know, 36, dollars $37,000 and $500, something like that, $37,500. It's accessible. Final answer. So what you did was by adding more into the circulation, that something that was a scarce resource that had a fixed value based on the market, you've added more into it and now you've caused the value of all the other ones to go down simply by putting more of them into circulation. And that's exactly what the Federal Reserve does with the dollar. There are, let's just say there's a million dollars in existence right now and that's what everyone uses to buy everything all the time. Well, when the Federal Reserve comes in and they decide that they're going to add $500,000 more into that, they didn't change the value of the dollar when they did that. What they actually did was they diluted its value because your purchasing power, everything, the value of the dollar had its value already. And by just adding more printed money into circulation, what you actually did was you decreased the value of every single dollar that was in circulation. And that is what, The Fed does on a daily basis. They take the money that's in your wallet every single day. The money that is in your wallet or in your bank account gets taken from you simply
2: because they're printing money. And and most people don't realize this, but that's really a huge part of what's behind at least people that actually know what they're doing with the Bitcoin craze is that there's a fixed number of Bitcoins. No one can go in and mess with it. There's X number of million Bitcoins. And as a means of exchange, you can't dilute the value of that. And that's why a lot of countries arguably are so scared of that. Now, we think Bitcoin's a little bit crazy, but that's where the premise of that's really pretty cool. And it
0: avoids all of this. Before it was the gold standard right? I mean, America used to be backed, the value of the dollar used to be backed by gold. We had gold in reserves. And instead of people carrying heavy metal around, what they did is they cr- decided to create a currency that represented a portion of that gold. You can actually still buy you know, paper certificates that represent a portion of gold today. And that has always been perceived as value. Gold for thousands of years has been a standard of which value is perceived. I'm not saying that a shiny metal is valuable or not. It's just what human beings have always considered to be valuable. It's a symbol of value. Right. And so talking about now this, I don't want people to think, I just have to throw this out there. I don't want people to think that you can't continue to create wealth. I don't want people to think there's a finite amount of money out in the world. But when it comes to that example and it comes to like a gold standard. And Ron Paul talks about this all the time. You, do you know the Federal Reserve actually has a goal for inflation to hover around 2%? And this is, and, and realistically, if you want to think about it, um, Ron Paul puts this out. A lot of people, uh, I think Peter Schiff even talks about it. The inflation rate is closer to 8%. So, so, that, the,
2: so the goal of the government, the goal is to destroy 2% of your wealth every year.
1: That's their actual. That's their actual goal. Is that they want to make sure that you lose two percent of your value.
2: But they do better yeah. than their goal sometimes. Yeah. And Ron Paul says they're more up at like eight percent. Eight percent.
1: When he says that, he's talking about things like you know gas, milk, bread, eggs, he, he's housing, really,
2: truly things measuring diminished purchasing power.
1: Things that normal everyday people actually have to pay for. I know that if. Uh, if you've ever rented an apartment before, you've ever uh, you know paid for gas, you know that your inflation rate is not just 2% every single year. My, my apartment in Nashville went from $500 to $1,300 within a span of five years, I think. And I'm, I could get my calculator out, but that's not 2% every single and, year.
2: And if you're a progressive person or liberal, whatever we want to call you today, You should really be concerned about this because who gets affected by this the most?
0: It's the poor This this is a perfect example of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer And remember I told you the reason why we want the government to do something like this is because what they're doing is criminal This is the criminal part. This is the Federal Reserve purposefully manipulating currency monetary policy in the market to make money Off basically out of thin air because what happens is this inflation that takes place, which devalues your dollar, your purchasing power, they're still collecting interest on that. So, the more that this takes place, the higher that they can get this, the more money that those types of people make. This is what this is why libertarians, people of liberty, people that love freedom should back and support. And really, we need to start educating people on this because it's not as difficult as it sounds. And if we can spread this message, if we can spread this word and get the people talking about this, we can get more of our senators and our representatives to actually eventually pass this. I'm not sure if Rand Paul is going to get this amendment through the Senate. I really hope this time that it does go through. But I want to point you to a fantastic book that you can read. I read this not that long ago. It it does it has a lot to do with the previous financial cl- uh, financial crisis in two thousand eight. But there's a book called Fed Up by Danielle Dimartino Booth, and she was a Wall Street Quite girl. A name? Yeah, <laughs> she was a <laughs> she was a Wall Street girl, and then ended up going and working for the Dallas Fed. Ended up being the Dallas Fed. Dallas Fed's president's right-hand man, basically. And she does a fantastic job of explaining some of the inner workings of the Federal Reserve and a lot of things you can pick up in that book to help you understand what's going on. And I think education in this department is probably the most important thing. So we can basically, we want our money to stop being stolen from us. We could go on for hours talking about the Federal Reserve. In fact, I think we might even be doing a series on this. We probably will. We probably will, but we're just out of time for tonight. That's all we've got for the big Freedom Show. Guys, the best thing that you can do for the show is to like and share it with a friend. This means the world to us. We are so excited every week to come back and talk to you about these issues. Spread the message of liberty and freedom Follow Nate on Twitter at Big Freedom Show for some trolling with Nate, and we'll see you next week.